I've always been obsessed with like the good girl and the bad girl. So mm -hmm. I've always had a lot of good girl perfumes and bad girl perfumes. I love the idea of, you know, being like a movie star in my everyday life. Yeah. It's really, you know, I, ha I felt like I had to have beauty icons. So yeah, I think if you desire glamour, you can create it, you know. Welcome back to Scent World, a show that explores the power of expressing yourself through scent. Today, we're featuring Dita Von Tees, based in Los Angeles, California. Dita is the biggest name in burlesque since Gypsy Rose Lee. She is known for revitalizing the art form, mesmerizing sold-out theaters around the world with spectacles that evoke fantasy and freedom. Born Heather Sweet in Michigan, Dita posed on the cover of Playboy in the early 2000s and soon became fashion's it girl. Her book, Your Beauty Mark, is a New York Times bestseller, and her latest fragrance, Scandalwood, is a collaboration with heretic parfums Douglas Little. This episode is split into two parts, hosted by Marianne Machescu, who runs communications at Scentbird. In part one, we immerse ourselves in Dita's enchanting world. She shares why she believes perfume is a tool for you to become whoever you want to be. She reveals her most memorable scents, the iconic mid-century woman who inspired her, and how she developed her signature look. Harness the power of glamour with Dita Von Tees on Scent World. We are here with a woman who needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway because I am such a fan. And this is a huge honor for me, Dita, the queen of burlesque, ultimate style icon, model Dita Fontese. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. Can you tell me what's your relationship with scent? Mm. Loaded I question. Mean, yeah. <laughs> There's never been a time in my life where I haven't used fragrance. Even when I was a little girl, I was... Mm -hmm you know, sneaking sprays of my mother's perfume or um, walking around the drugstore and buying a bottle of Love's Baby Soft, Love's you know. Love's Baby Soft, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I've always loved perfume because for, I also grew up being someone who really couldn't wait to be an adult woman. I loved femininity and elegance. And of course, a lot of people already know I grew up watching old movies. And so in my mind, I was going to grow up and be like Betty Grable or Hedy, yes. Hedy Lamar. And um, I liked lady things. It begins as a sports dress. Look at you. Hi which converts into a one-piece play costume of jersey and checked matching wool. What was your first big girl fragrance? Big girl fragrance? Yeah. Mm, well, <laughs> I remember it well because, and, and I would say this is my I mean, I wore a lot, I think I wore a lot of big girl perfumes. Yeah. Um, but I have to say when I think big girl, I think like, serious perfume I would wear now. Yes. So let me think. I mean, I know for sure that when I was much younger, you know, growing up in the 80s, I spoke about the Love's Baby Soft, but there was um, Ombre Rose, which I love. Okay. Do you remember that one? It's from the 80s. Um, 
So exclamation. I remember exclamation. And you know what? That still is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lulu by Casherelle. Yes. Um, yeah, those are just a few off the top of my head. Uh, the smell of sun in. I always think about this smell. I used to spray that sun in in my blonde hair when I was a kid. And I always think about that fragrance. Like I can, I can still remember. It was kind of like a, like a calendula yeah. scent. Yeah. It definitely takes me back to like mm -hmm. putting the dryer in my hair and trying to right. be blonde. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole fragrance to do with just beauty products in general, of course, too. But I'd say like the first grown-up fragrance. So I was going to um, homecoming, like the homecoming dance or something like mm -hmm. that when I was a freshman in high school. And I went to buy my first strapless bra because I needed Ooh. one. And I went to... Uh, like Neiman Marcus or Sachs or something. Yeah. I, don't, I think you could, I could even, I had a job all the time. Let me say yeah. that. I was not, I was not like the rich girl shopping at the fancy stores, but I always had a job. Yes. Um, I learned early on that having a job meant having my independence. Yeah. She's an independent so I was woman. always working. Anyway, I went and bought this strapless bra and I remember getting home and this the bag smelled so good. It was in this wrapped in tissue and it was just a plain old like strapless bra. Um, it was wrapped in tissue and that paper bag. And I remember the scent wafting out of the bag and I was like, oh my God. So they had put a sample in the bag and that sample had spilled. And the bra was just like soaked in this perfume. But and I had it, you know, I had it for a while and it still like, it still retained the fragrance. It was a very nice perfume, mm -hmm. a pure perfume and it lasted forever. And the longer, the more time that went on, the better it smelled. And then, so I had to go back to the store and find out what it was. I, actually, there was a little card in there, so I knew what it was, but I had to go back there to explore it further, but it was called Calca Fleur. Okay. And which is a very fra famous fragrance, an expensive fragrance. And I went back and of course I was like, oh, wow, that is expensive. <laughs> it still is. Yeah. Even now it's, a, it is the, in the top, like a high end fragrance that's been around for a long, long time. Um, but of course the resourceful person I am, I went and saved my money and uh, I managed to buy myself my first bottle of expensive perfume. And that was my signature scent for decades. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's such an accomplishment too, feeling like I, I bought this myself. I am in mm -hmm. high school. Do you still get taken back to that moment with the tissue when you smell it today? Mm -hmm. I still have that. I still keep that in my arsenal of fragrances that I love. It's very different mm -hmm. than um, like some of the per perfumes I have like worn since or that I've created myself. It's a very voluptuous, powdery floral. Actually, they they had sent me a few. They'd read that I loved it and they sent me like a care package once and I was like, amazing. <laughs> I've got like the body powder and the lotion and the solid perfume and the pure perfume. So they sent me a big care package because they knew how much I liked it. So there was a point I was wearing this fragrance for a long time and I guess maybe oh in it has to be about 15 years ago now, or maybe even more. Um, I was, I was in Paris. I was living in Paris and I had a French boyfriend and he said, what's your perfume? And I said, Oh, it's this 
old-fashioned French fragrance called Quelque Fleur. And he said, I know, because my mother wears it. No. Oh, no. Like, I know enough <laughs> about fragrance to know that you can't wear the fragrance your mother wears. So anyway, the, ne the next day, I call my friend Killian Hennessy, who's mm. also a great, he's a great perfumer. And I go, Killian, what do I do? My new boyfriend, who I'm crazy about, you know, he's... He told me that I wear the same perfume as his mother. And I love this perfume. And he knows the perfume, of course. And he said, it's pas possible. You, you have to leave, get rid of the man or get rid of the perfume. You can't have both. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's right. Because, you know, the power of fragrance and what it evokes. I mean, I knew he was trying to work up the courage to tell me that that was his mother's fragrance. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I knew that that was, <laughs> I could tell immediately. He wasn't just like, your perfume's so great. He was like, I have to tell her that this is like the scent of my mother. <laughs> um, and his mother, by the way, fabulous, like supermodel, 80s supermodel, fabulous. There's nothing wrong with wearing the same perfume as her in that way. Um, Anyway, eventually I abandoned the man. <laughs> no, I do. That's when I decided I could bring my Calcafleur back into my life. Um, but, you know, I'm someone who has like shelves and shelves of perfume. I love it. I love certain bottles. I like that it's kind of like a wardrobe. I have my fa one perfumes I'm faithful to that I wear all the time. Mm -hmm. Um but I do love having all the bottles everywhere. And obviously I get a lot of like bottles as gifts and things like that. And, and I love just like flirting with other fragrances. You know, I look at it as like, there's your significant other. It's very serious, but there's nothing wrong with flirting with all the other, the other fragrances or trying something new or, you know. Flirting with other fragrances. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's also a form of self-expression. I feel like when I put on a certain fragrance, I am a different type of person. It brings mm -hmm. something out mm -hmm. of me. Can you talk a little bit about the role scent plays in your own self-expression? I definitely choose according to what I'm wearing and my mood and, and wh what I'm doing. And I've even been known to use different fragrances and different, like layer them, or mm -hmm. there's a, I might put a certain fragrance like on my stockings, something else here. I think it's, there's no rules really. Exactly. It kind yeah. of sets different moods depending on how you layer yeah. it. But yeah. You said one of my favorite quotes ever about <laughs> fragrance, which is perfume is a tool for a woman to become every woman she ever wanted to be, which really speaks to the transformative nature of mm -hmm. fragrance. When I wear something heady and spicy. Like nobody can tell me who I am. I feel confident, but yeah, I would love to hear about just some of your favorite scent memories and mm -hmm. like the strongest ones that stick out for you. I grew up in Michigan and I grew up in a, in a house surrounded by huge lilac bushes, like very tall ones. Um, and I'll, I mean, a lot of mm -hmm. lilac bushes. <laughs> and so the scent of the lilac is very like powerful for me and takes me right back. And whenever it's lilac season, the scent of the lilacs really like ha evokes a lot of childhood memories as do like the other seasons, for instance, um, autumn leaves. Mm. You know, I used to love to, my, my dad would rake up all the leaves into a giant pile and I would go bury myself in it. And so that fragrance of dead leaves is something I also love, which is kind of the opposite of of florals, but that's kind of how I am about perfume in general. Like I love, uh, you know, things that are kind of 
opposites yeah. when they, and when they come together. I'm not saying there should be a lilac and leaf, <laughs> uh, lilac and autumn leaf perfume because that doesn't sound right. But I do like how that 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 um, fragrance of something like dead leaves is very different from a flower. But I always liked this these polar opposites kind of thing, like. Um, like my, my, one of my books, for instance, is I've always been obsessed with like the good girl and the bad girl. So mm -hmm. I've always had a lot of good girl perfumes and bad girl perfumes. Uh, I, I just love that. And so, yeah. Um, and then also my mother wore Halston. Oh. Um, so whenever I smell Halston, it really brings back some memories of my mother. My mother doesn't wear Halston now, unfortunately, but I've been fantasizing about buying a, a vintage bottle of, of Halston just to revisit it. My mother wears Angel now. Oh, Angel. Uh, because we all <laughs> fell in love with Angel when it came out. Like for me, when I saw the first pictures of Angel, I marched myself right over to the department store and I bought a bottle without even sniffing it. And that was like a moment um, and of course I wore that like crazy for a while yes. and then my mother wore it and then everyone was wearing it and then I abandoned it because I was like, it's too much. Everybody's wearing right. it. You know, <laughs> you know, wearing the same perfume is a little bit like wearing the same outfit, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be wearing the same perfume, but I also, I love smelling it on my mother and I love smelling it on like some of my friends that wear it. I, I still enjoy that fragrance, but I don't need to enjoy it on myself. Um, but that's the same thing with clothes. You can exactly. enjoy what someone else wearing something. It doesn't mean you have to wear it yourself. Um, there's lots of fragrances that I have a lot of great memories for. And then also Maggie Noir. Do you remember Lancome Maggie Noir? They had a, yes. There were some great fragrances in the 80s that I still go, oh, God, that was so great. They're like those powerful ones. Yeah, they were so in your face. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And then the fragrances that bring me back to like my high, first my first love in high school sweetheart, you know, uh, polo for men, you know, oh polo will take me right back. And in a good <laughs> way, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, polo will take me right back to the backseat of a car. And so will obsession for men. Obsession. Yeah. Like <laughs> I grew up in Orange County. And so there was a lot of like those, those were the fragrances. Yeah. I feel like every hot guy back in the day wore those. Yeah, totally. Right. But I love it. They're good. They're good. Right? Mm -hmm. Hot guys wore them for a reason. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about your previous fragrances because you're quite mm -hmm. the perfumer. You have erotique, rouge, and flirtees already under your belt. I know that they don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, and there was one other one too. There was the original okay. Davanti's fragrance. Yes. So I had one. It came in a black bottle. That's one that people. There are two of two of those. I was excited about making my own perfume. I was living in Paris at the time, mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, I did four fragrances, and the first one especially, I was working uh, on. I walked into the famous place that like all the great fragrances were made. Yeah. But when I walked in, you know, they had these five bottles out and they said oh these are some beautiful fragrances for you to choose from to put your name on and i was like i'm gonna make a fragrance i'm not gonna sniff these and pick one but but apparently that's how they do it and i said no i, I want to make a fragrance mm -hmm. and so we got to work i tortured them <laughs> i tortured them for a long time because i was living in, in nearby so mm -hmm. i was able to come over and do all the reworks. And it was a lot, I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, even at one point, like 
with my fragrance partners, went out to went out to like a chateau and spent the weekend with the fragrances to make all the final choices. It was very romantic. It sounds romantic. You know? But then I would also sl- say things like, mm, I think this one needs a little something like a little bit of ball sweat or something. <laughs> it's like a little bit something. It needs something funky, you know? I loved it. I love talking to them like yeah. that. So I made the first fragrance and it was very much like a a creamy uh, floral. Okay. Very pretty, very pretty. It's one of the, that first one, my namesake and, the, and Aerotique were the ones that people always asked for afterwards. I, although somebody just asked me about Rouge the other day and mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, <laughs> it's a long time ago now, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, those are the two that people asked me about. And those were my two favorites to wear. I think what the problem was I got, we're in all the department stores and drug stores. It's like, you can buy a bottle of this for $24 or 24 euros. And, um, you know, I didn't like, they kept wanting me to make more fragrances. And I said, but I don't want to wear, I don't wear 25 different perfumes. And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to come out with one and I didn't like the whole idea of celebrity fragrance. I right. wanted to be, I didn't want my name on the bottle. <laughs> I, kept, <laughs> I kept saying, what, what can I do? I'm, I don't see myself as a celebrity putting my name on a bottle. I see myself as a tastemaker because like I, I do have, I don't have a stylist. I don't, I do my own makeup. I do my own hair. I don't, I'm not someone who just slaps my name on a bottle yeah. and I want people to buy my products whether they've ever heard of me or not, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be like, oh, my fans buy this. When I was making my perfumes, it was like a point where everyone was doing like clean, fresh, Mm -hmm. powdery, floral fragrances. And I was like, I want something like raunchy and dirty. And they were very like, of course, like fragrances like that existed, like in the marketplace, but not in celebrity fragrance. So that was something that I had to really fight for, which, you know, they let me have my way. And of course, I was very proud and still am proud to this day that the two fragrances that did the best out of the four I did were the ones that where they said I could do whatever I wanted. Amazing. The two that that tanked, I don't know that they tanked. I don't really know. (laughs) Well, not according to your one But the two that nobody cared about, that I didn't care about, were the ones that they didn't let me do whatever I wanted. Mm Because the first one, I could do whatever I wanted. I made these other two because they made me and I was like, okay. And they said, they said, we want to do another one. I said, only if I get to do whatever I want this time. And that's how Aerotique was made was I got that last chance to do whatever I wanted. And people still write me and my assistant Callie over there. And they're always like, do you sure you don't have a bottle of Aerotique laying around? Um, but that brings me to one of the, you know, my perfume Scandalwood yes. is based on Aerotique and my desire to have it back again mm-hmm. in a different way, of course. You know, they're like cousins. Definitely. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I read when I was going through the notes of Scandalwood and what people were saying. They were like, this is Aerotique 2.0 and I have missed her so much and I'm mm-hmm. so glad she's back. Yeah. But I think it's also a testament to like, if you're doing exactly what you want, if you have the creative freedom yeah. versus if you're doing something for results, if you're doing mm-hmm. it for instant results, just to put it on the market, it's yeah. not going to hit. Like, yeah, it's authenticity. Play. It's mm-hmm. like, that's, I feel like I've made my entire career on doing, you know, going against the grain, you mm-hmm. know, it's not really, it, especially when I was first starting out, 
you know, wanting to be a famous striptease star was not really like, I even remember being the moment I was on the cover of American Playboy, which was like yes. a pinnacle for me, which, you know, at that time, Playboy was a big deal still. Uh, there were big stars mm -hmm. on the cover of Playboy. But it's, um, yeah, it, it was, I had someone say, okay, now you've done this thing. What do you want to do now? And I want to keep being a burlesque star. And they're like, well, don't you want to be an actress or a singer now? No. <laughs> no, I want to do this thing. Yeah. So um, being authentic to what I believe in is always, you know, prove, you know, I've always done well. And, you know, I'll listen to people. I'll listen to a per perfumer or my lingerie brand partners. My lingerie brand partners say, you got to make this kind of bra and you'll, you know, it'll do really well. I'll listen the first time. Mm -hmm. But I remember one time <laughs> they said, oh, we need to make a smooth bra. We need the Dita Von T's t-shirt bra and i was like what do people want a t-shirt bra from me you know i think yeah. they want black lace <laughs> this is what a dita von Teese bra looks right. like um and i they said if you make a t-shirt bra you're gonna sell so much you'll be able to buy a house and i was like okay let's go let's try it guess what though i did not buy a house with a t-shirt bra money i bought the house with black lace and garter belts the t-shirt bra did not do well. Yes. And they were wrong. So, but I'll give everybody one chance, but I still, believe me, Yeah, 15 years later of lingerie, I still say things like, remember that when you made me make a t-shirt bra? Oh, I would not let that go. <laughs> I also feel like I have like magical powers and I always feel like if you, like magical powers of like making people believe in things, mm -hmm. you know, like if somebody says, oh, people don't wear garter belts anymore, I go, they will. And suddenly, <laughs> next thing you knew, Bloomingdale's is like, you single-handedly revive the garter belt in our department store. So I, I love to like challenge. And so then I go to work at like talking about it all the time mm -hmm. in PR, like about why wearing a garter belt or why wear a perfume that doesn't smell like the norm. You know, I, I yeah. love doing that. And I love seeing if I can like change you know, change people's minds about things the you same plant way. plant the seed and yeah. then the rest is up to them. Yeah, I love doing that. A little bit of manifesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love to go a little bit into your own self-expression journey. Like, who is Dita Von Teese? Oh. <laughs> that's a loaded question. I can I narrow it down. <laughs> I know. That's a, that's a, that's a lot. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, Dita Von Teese is like the exterior I have created and the persona that I created. I always loved the idea of um, being the opposite of what I was born with and, and you know, the old Hollywood makeover. You know, like if you look at pictures of like Rita Hayworth or Marilyn Monroe, like before and then after the Hollywood makeover, I was just obsessed with the idea that you could become you know, whoever you want to be. Yeah. You don't have to say, oh, this is what I, you know, this is what I was born looking like. I, or, you know, I, I haven't left the house without red lipstick on and I don't know how long. I just enjoy it yeah. and it makes me feel powerful. So I think like, you know, my whole thing has been telling people to lean into what makes you feel confident. What is it for you? This is what it is for me. If you want to try it too, you can. Yeah. I wrote a book about <laughs> it, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't, I feel like I just uh, loved the idea of um, the theater of glamour mm -hmm. and how glamour is something you can create for yourself. No matter how, glamour has nothing to do with money. 
at all because, you know, I used to have, you know, I, like I said, I always worked, but I used to like drape my bed. I was, I'd look at, you know, Marie Antoinette's bed and I'd go buy bolts of fabric and figure out how to make myself a canopy, you know, like I just loved living glamour. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, you know, red lipstick, I could go buy a wet and wild tube of red lipstick for 99 cents. I don't know if they still cost 99 cents, but I could do that and I could create glamour and I just always, and vintage clothes too. The reason I started shopping Mm -hmm. for vintage clothes was because I couldn't afford designer clothes. Like my, my friends all had designer jeans and sneakers and in school and I, I couldn't afford that stuff. So I used to go to the vintage stores and that's how it started. So it's kind of like, I, I, I just, I like living a glamorous life, mm-hmm. shopping at flea markets, buying secondhand clothes and, you know, red lipstick, learning the tools, the power of learning about the power of glamour. And it doesn't really cost much money. You just have to decide you want it. Yeah. And it's all about how it looks and how it makes you feel yeah. too. Like you said, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to cost a lot. No. You kind of went into this with how you would shop for vintage clothing, but I'd love to know more about like how you developed your signature look because I love your references. (laughs) They're so specific and they're all so beautiful. And yeah. Um, Well, let's see. Uh, When I was in high school was when I first started wearing red lipstick. I still had my blonde hair, of (laughs) course. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1990. And it was in 1990 that um, I was like, you know, just broken up with my boyfriend. I was dating a new guy. And he's like, hey, let's, we're going to go to this party tonight. It starts at midnight. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And suddenly I was at my first rave party. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and there were drag queens and club kids. And I was like, this whole colorful world that I got involved with. And suddenly I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear my fishnets and my corset out. And I started, you know, I was a club kid and I started performing in the rave scene and hanging around that group. I started dyeing my hair. First I wore a wig, black wig. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was like, I think I'm going to dye my hair from blonde to, you know, I have this long blonde hair and uh, I used to wear it in a beehive. And yeah, I just feel like I just got involved with all of these people that inspired me to be extra I love that. And I was flamboyant, you know, and I I loved it. Uh, and I was a go-go dancer and I would like, you know, hot glue sequins onto bustiers and, you know, make my outfits. And it just started there and it kind of evolved. And I had this idea where I was going to, oh, I know what it was. I, I worked in a lingerie store at mm-hmm. that time. It's a lot of stuff, but it kind of just... Uh, It's just like a lot of things that led me to this. But one of the other key moments was um, I worked in this lingerie store and I was very interested in vintage lingerie. And I saw this girl out at this club and she was wearing a corset. And I was like, where did you get that? And she, you know, wrote down because you had to write down people's things (laughs) back then. Back then. (laughs) Yeah. Before cell phones. Um, She wrote down a name of a place on a piece of paper and I went there like the next day and I had no idea where I was going. Um, and I walked in and it was a fetish store and it was like bondage equipment everywhere. And like, that's where I discovered pictures of Betty Page. Yes. 
And it's like that moment, I met a nice guy that fit me for my first corset behind the counter. And he started showing me like pictures of Betty Page. And I was like, is anybody like doing this now? And I thought, I'm going to be the next Betty Page. I'm going to pose for bondage photos, yes. like 1950s style. And that's really what, st what started it. And then I was work I started working in a strip club after in my off days and just, you know, doing my little feather fan dances at the fetish ball. I just got totally wrapped up in that scene. Um, it's funny. I, um, a lot of people know Raja that who won drag race yes. back, way back. He, we've known each other since we were 19. So really? he's part of that whole group of people that I hung out with. Um, so those are the kind of people I was rolling around with back then that inspired me. That's and awesome. I'm still friends with to this day. And using just like your creative expression in that way. Yeah, I, I just felt that. free. And, you know, I, of course, people made fun of me too, you know, like I'd be out of the grocery store or something and somebody would like make a snarky remark about, you know, me looking like a vampire or something like that or, you know. Cleopatra. I used to get, like, it's interesting, people have to give you a word association yeah. if they don't know. And it was funny because when I had my Betty Page bangs and my, or my Louise Brooks bob, they were like, oh, Cleopatra. And I was like, oh, I was actually doing like 20s film star yeah. right now. But they don't know that. They only know Cleopatra. Like, that and was then Elizabeth Taylor. When Pulp, <laughs> when Pulp Fiction came out, it was like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Like people love to like associate when they think they know something, but that's like just kind of shows like, Okay, like people have to compare you, which is one thing I don't really love is when people yeah. have to compare you. They have to go, oh, you you look like, and you're like, but I could just look like me or I could just exactly. look cool. But yeah, I've, I always got, I did always get made fun of and I'm having a great time exactly. picking out my outfits and wearing, you know, five pairs of eyelashes. Uh, I just loved it. I liked the theater of it and it gave me confidence because I was very shy. Mm -hmm. And so- the look, the exterior, it gave me confidence to like dress like a femme fatale, you know, like yeah. that gave me, it felt like I could at least act powerful, you know? And it really is a way of just like asserting your power yeah. and taking it into your own hands yeah. and just kind of, you know, people will react however they react, but you mm -hmm. feel powerful and yeah. you feel good. Yeah. And then there was a point where I, one day I had like a light, like a light bulb went on my head when so somebody had just made fun of me for being dressed in vintage clothes or whatever. And I was kind of like, I, I thought I went, oh, I thought back about what they were wearing. And I was like, that's their like tribe of people mm -hmm. and wearing the trainers and the sports gear and the sports teams. Cause they were two guys like with baseball hats on and like sports guys. Of course. And you know, I was like a Dracula to them. And <laughs> I just thought like, oh, they have their thing that they think is cool. And I have my thing that I think is cool and it's totally fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's actually a compliment. <laughs> it's actually a compliment to be mocked and ridiculed by people that don't understand. Exactly. Like if you're just going to be however everybody else is, then you're playing it safe and you're keeping yourself safe from yeah. ridicule. Yeah. If you want to do that and if you want to wear a t-shirt and a baseball hat, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. It's just, but don't make fun of other people for me, for their choices. Exactly. So you spoke a little bit about breakthrough career moments like being in Playboy. I would love to hear about more, you know, milestones that stand out in your mind. I'd say I had a moment in the early 2000s when I was kind of like fashion's it girl, like all the designers like Jean-Paul Gaultier, John mm -hmm. Galliano, um, 
you know, Marc Jacobs, Louis Vuitton. I was performing at the biggest Louis Vuitton events all over the world. And, you know, as of late, I just came off a, my biggest tour of my life and uh, sold out, you know, six nights at the London Palladium, which is huge. And um, sold out almost every show that I did on wow. my U.S. and Europe and U.K. tours. And it was really exciting, big historic theaters. And um, yeah, and I'm just, that was, that's exciting. You know, yeah. I didn't really expect that to happen in my 50th year. You know? 50th year. Yeah. I also feel like your martini girl and the champagne girl routines, they mm -hmm. are so iconic in people's minds to the point that you collaborated with Taylor Swift on her routine in Bejeweled, correct? Yeah, yeah. What was that like? That It was funny because, you know, I'd got like somebody contacted me and then I was on the phone with her, one of her people and she was explaining to me what they wanted to do. And then suddenly it was like, hold on, I'm going to put Taylor on. I was like, okay. <laughs> and she just like started, she knew everything about what I do, which was surprising to me. I just thought, oh, okay. Um, and you know, she said, I see a lot of people imitating you or you're on people's, a lot of people's mood boards. And I would like to be alongside you in the video. Cause like she certainly, I thought she was going to call me and ask me to, if she could borrow my glass or whatever, right. but she was so like, no, it's going to be me and you side by side. I want people to know that this is your thing, you know? So it's that amazing. was really, um, that was really something, you know, uh, cause this, yeah, not people don't. Yeah, I have had a lot of people that are just like, you know, I'm on their mood board. It's fine. But, you know, it's okay to tell people where you got the idea. Right. And yeah. like, instead of being like, that looks familiar, like, yeah. I'm inspired by you. Yeah. So there was something that I think you said where you spoke about how you are more attracted to glamour than beauty. Mm -hmm. And you spoke a bit about glamour and what that means to you. But could you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think, um, you know, growing up in the 80s, I felt like, I couldn't have, I didn't have anything in common with supermodels of the eighties. And it was very, you know, even growing up as a teenager mm -hmm. after I left Michigan in Orange County, like the beach babe, I just felt like I couldn't have any, I didn't have anything in common with those kind of women. And so that's why I looked to the past, like the 1940s and fifties and thirties, even, um, I like, you could see that everything was created and there is like, you know, beautiful artifice, which mm -hmm. is something I've been always been attracted to. Cause I thought like, well, wait, why are we heralding, um, natural beauty that you're just born with because you have good genes that your parents gave to you? Why don't we like give people more credit for what they create yes. by choice? You know, like yeah. that. So I kind of thought like, Hmm, it's interesting. So I, I wanted to like learn how to do vintage hair and makeup. And I love the idea of, you know, being like a movie star in my everyday life. Yeah. It was really, you know, I ha I felt like I had to have beauty icons. I wanted to have beauty icons and those were my beauty icons. I think part of it was because when I was a little girl, I grew up watching those old movies and in my little mind, I was like, this is how ladies are. Like those yeah. were my ladies that I thought I was going to grow up and be like. I thought everyone was going to be like that. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, I think just the the idea of like if you desire glamour, you can create it. You know, for sure. Mm -hmm. And what do you hope to ignite or convey with your mm -hmm. work in burlesque and modeling? I think, um, I guess, you know, I didn't ever, I was just, it's interesting because when I started in the early nineties, I, you know, I wanted at first to be like 
a sex object. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a burlesque star. I was a playboy girl. All, you know, I had a lot of like male fans. And then interestingly, in like 2002, I came, I was on the cover of Playboy. I came out with my first book. And in my first book, I talked about what glamour meant to me and how it gave me confidence and who my idols were and why and what it was about pinup and glamour that I loved and how I felt kind of like a plain Jane, you know, yeah. like a very ordinary, like mousy, you know, girl. And, uh, and I, I wrote about that in my book and, um, the book came out and I did this, I went on a big talk show in, uh, in London, the Jonathan Ross show. It's mm -hmm. a huge show. And then I did a book signing at Harrods and they closed off the streets for it. And there were thousands of people there and they were mostly women. And I remember I got this like really, like I, f I knew that day when there were so many women there of all ages, all types. And I felt like I had, I, I connected it with my story about my vulnerability, about how like glamour gave me a power and confidence that I didn't have before. And, you know, I met all of these people, they had their books signed and I went, oh, I have like, I, there is something here to this. And sharing my story, other people said, I feel that way too. And I would like, to, or I would like to feel that way too. And it kind of like started a little bit, of, it made me, it gave me a mission. Mm -hmm. It gave me like something that, an importance to what I was doing instead of just like being a glamour girl or just being a pinup girl for, you know, a, a sex object, burlesque dancer. It's something, it gave me something I never expected to have, but it's like, you couldn't plan that out. Like, I know people think like, oh, you could, you could plan that out and you could say, you know what the world needs. I never thought that it was just like all very natural and I was doing my thing and I was trying to explain to people why I was doing it because people thought I was strange. They thought I was weird. Like, why are you dressing like this? What makes you do this? Um, so yeah, I think, and then of course, all of these years later, um, you know, most of the people that buy tickets to see my show are there. It's very female driven mm -hmm. and LGBTQIA big following. Um, and I think it's just, I also try to present a show that feels inclusive and diverse. And it is about like having unapologetic power in your sexuality and not, uh, you know, just really indulging in that and saying, it's okay. Yeah. You know, because some people do need that permission. They need to know that it is okay if you embrace your sensuality mm -hmm. and you're not afraid to admit that you, you know, you're what you're you like wearing black lingerie, you're a fetishist. Like, what are these things that you're into? There's a whole world, and we are accepted into this. And I think that's what for me, my show and my tours have been about is like showing that to people. Um, I mean, people come to my show in bondage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have had many people come in drag and I'm not talking about just drag queens because mm -hmm. of course we have lots of people come in drag, but I'm talking about married couples and meeting someone said, my husband is dressed as a woman in public for the first time ever tonight. Like they, this, it's like a place where people feel like they can be whoever they want. Yeah. They can do those things. They can, they're not going to be judged the same way that they might be that, you know, you can't go to the opera dressed mm -hmm. in drag for the first time. You, people are going to make snicker, yeah. but not in my theater, not in this house, you know, <laughs> not in my theater. So, um, 
that's something I'm really proud of. And it's not something I ever really expected. I never anticipated it, but I am so grateful for it. And it's, I think it's just as a testament to being authentic and and being tell being vulnerable because I certainly could have just said I'm a glamour girl I've always been this way yeah but no I didn't I said like I didn't always feel this way I just loved doing this and I started honing in on my craft of glamour and studying like what it is and how yeah. you get it and I do love just how authentic you are with everything you do that really comes across with every single project you've ever done and I think just giving people that agency to be like, hey, I mean, mm -hmm. I relate to you. I wasn't always this glamour girl. And mm -hmm. when they see that, they kind of give themselves permission to lean into yeah. their more creative side. Yeah. And it's like, I know I'm niche, mm -hmm. you know, it, um, it brings me back to a funny fragrance story. I had a big meeting in New York and they were very like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to, maybe we should talk about doing a fragrance. And I, and it was all great. And then I left and then I got the call from my, my manager. It's like, oh, they called and they said, you know, her numbers don't come up like Jennifer Lopez. So, and I was like, yeah, duh. Of yeah. course my numbers don't come up like Jennifer Lopez. Like I'm not Jennifer Lopez. And, you know, but I've always accepted that I am niche and I'm happy with that. You know, I feel like I'm not trying to fight mm -hmm. to be everybody's girl. You know, I'm not trying to like, I want to just be true to who I am and do what I believe in. And if that means making a fragrance that is polarizing or making a, creating a show that is polarizing to people or, you know, making garter belts and telling everybody that they should wear them instead of pantyhose that's maybe not always a popular opinion, but it's my way. And mm -hmm. I know there are lots of other people that agree with me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Scent Connection, Scandalous Edition. Marianne names an iconic woman who challenged the status quo, and Dita shares a scent or feeling that immediately comes to mind. Dita, are you ready to play Scent Connection? I think so, yeah. Sally Rand. Mm, I think of powder and, you know, because she famously wore body makeup. Yes. And I think about the fans, the feather fans whipping around the scent of powder. Ooh. Yeah. Betty Page. Oh, I think of leather, yes, of course. Um, leather and lipstick, you know, like a scented lipstick. You know, one of my favorite you know, beauty products, whenever people say, oh, it's unscented, don't worry. I'm like, oh, I love a, a fragranced lipstick. Like right. a Guerlain has beautiful fragranced lipsticks. Um, so I think of leather and lipstick. Yes, I love mm -hmm. that. Gypsy Rose Lee. Mm. Now Gypsy. <laughs> she was very no-nonsense. Mm -hmm. Maybe the scent of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Gypsy was like... She was amazing because she was a very smart businesswoman. Yes. She made a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, she made a lot of money by any entertainer's standards, not just by burlesque dancer standards. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Marlene Dietrich? Well, Marlena was a very powerful woman mm -hmm. in her life, like as a movie star, as a woman, you know, kind of in charge of all of the men around her. Are you ever impatient? Just now, for example. Well, I'm patient, yes. I sometimes I'm impatient. Uh, I'm 
impatient with stupidity. If people don't know their jobs, I do get impatient. But I think uh, that's right to get impatient. I think if somebody wants to do a job, he should know about it, or he should go home and do something else. So she had a powerful fragrance, and that Tabac Blonde is very intense, and from, it's a fragrance from 1919, I believe. Um, but yeah, you can still you can still sniff it and wear it. Although it would probably be a different formulation right. than what she wore, but um, you could maybe find a vintage decant of it. <laughs> May West. Oh, May West was my favorite. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh, gosh, when I think about May West, I think about something very expensive and voluptuous, heady that you just want to drink in. I think I read that she wore Joy. Oh, okay. Made with, I don't know, a, a gajillion flowers, <laughs> real flowers. Um, but yeah, I think about her and obviously all the voluptuous florals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Betty Grable. Betty Grable. Now, the ultimate pinup, I think of Betty Grable as a good girl scent, like maybe the scent of violets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Violets are some kind of you know, innocent floral mm-hmm. it's mixed with cigarettes. She liked to smoke. Of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was Marianne Machascu and Dita Von Tees, based in Los Angeles, California.